Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. This installment, The God in the Bowl, by Robert E. Howard, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 3. In the center of the room stood a strange black cylinder, nearly four feet in height, and perhaps three feet in diameter at its widest circumference, which was halfway between the top and bottom. The heavy carven lid lay on the floor, and beside it a hammer and a chisel. Demetrio looked inside, puzzled an instant over the dim hieroglyphs, and turned to Conan. Is this what you came to steal? The barbarian shook his head. How could I bear it away? It is too big for one man to carry. The bands were cut with this chisel, mused Demetrio, and in haste. There are marks where misstrokes of the hammer dented the metal, 
we may assume that Callian opened the bowl. Someone was hiding nearby, possibly in the hangings in the doorway. When Callian had the bowl open, the murderer sprang on him, or he might have killed Callian and opened the bowl himself. This is a grisly thing, shuddered the clerk. It's too ancient to be holy. Whoever saw metal like it in a sane world? It seems less destructible than Aquilonian steel. Yet see how it is corroded and eaten away in spots. Look at the bits of black mold clinging in the grooves of the hieroglyphics. They smell as earth smells from far below the surface. And look, here on the lid. The clerk pointed with a shaky finger. What would you say it is? Demetrio bent closer to the carven design. I'd say it represents a crown of some sort, he grunted. No, exclaimed Promero. I warned Callion, but he would not believe me. It is a scaled serpent coiled with its tail in its mouth. It is the sign of Set, the old serpent, the god of the Stygians. This bowl is too old for a human world. It is a relic of the time when Set walked the earth in the form of a man. The race which sprang from his loins laid the bones of their kings away in such cases as these, perhaps. And you'll say that these moldering bones rose up and strangled Callian Publico and then walked away, perhaps, derided Demetrio. It was no man who was laid to rest in that bowl, whispered the clerk, his eyes wide and staring. What human could lie in it? Demetrio swore disgustedly. If Conan is not the murderer, he snapped, the slayer is still somewhere in this building. Dionus and Arus, remain here with me, and you three prisoners stay here too. The rest of you search the building. The murderer could only have escaped if he got away before Arus found the body. By the way Conan used in entering, and in that case the barbarian would have seen him if he's telling the truth. I saw no one but this dog growled Conan, indicating Aris. "'Of course not, because you're the murderer,' said Dionys. "'We're wasting time, but we'll search the building as a formality. And if we find no one, I promise you shall burn. Remember the law, my black-haired savage. You go to the mines for killing a commoner, you hang for killing a tradesman, and for murdering a rich man you burn.' Conan answered with a wicked lift of his lip, baring his teeth, and the men began their search. The listeners in the chamber heard them stamping upstairs and down, moving objects, opening doors, and bellowing to one another through the rooms. "'Conan,' said Demetrio, "'you know what it means if they find no one.' "'I didn't kill him,' snarled the Cimmerian. If he had sought to hinder me, I'd have split his skull. But I did not see him until I saw his corpse. I know that someone sent you here tonight to steal at least, said Demetrio. By your silence, you incriminate yourself in this murder as well. You had best speak. The mere fact of your being here is sufficient to send you to the mines for ten years, anyhow, whether you admit your guilt or not. But if you tell the whole tale, you may save yourself from the stake. Well, answered the barbarian grudgingly, 
I came here to steal the Zamorian Diamond Goblet. A man gave me a diagram of the temple and told me where to look for it. It is kept in that room, Conan pointed, in a niche in the floor under a copper Shemitish god. He speaks truth there, said Primero. I thought that not half a dozen men in the world knew the secret of that hiding place. And if you had secured it, asked Dionys sneeringly, would you really have taken it to the man who hired you, or would you have kept it for yourself? Again the smoldering eyes flashed resentment. I am no dog, the barbarian muttered. I keep my word. Who sent you here? Demetrio demanded, but Conan kept a sullen silence. The guardsmen were straggling back from their search. There's no man hiding in this building, they growled. We've ransacked the place. We found the trap door in the roof through which the barbarian entered, and the bolt he cut in half. A man escaping that way would have been seen by the guards we posted about the building unless he fled before we came. Then besides, he would have had to stack tables or chairs or cases upon each other to reach it from below. And that has not been done. Why couldn't he have gone out the front door just before Arus came around the building? Because the door was bolted on the inside, and the only keys which will work that bolt are the one belonging to Arus and the one which still hangs on the girdle of Kalian Publico. I found the cable the murderer used, one of them announced. A black cable, thicker than a man's arm and curiously splotched. Then where is it, fool? exclaimed Dionys. In the chamber adjoining this one, answered the guard. It's wrapped about a marble pillar where no doubt the murderer thought it would be safe from detection. I couldn't reach it, but it must be the right one. He led the way into a room filled with marble statuary and pointed to a tall column one of several which served a purpose more of ornament to set off the statues than of utility. And then he halted and stared. It's gone, he cried. It never was there, snorted Dionys. By Mitra, it was, swore the guardsman. Coiled about the pillar just above those carven leaves. It's so shadowy up there near the ceiling I couldn't tell much about it, but it was there. You're drunk, snapped Demetrio, turning away. That's too high for a man to reach, and nothing but a snake could climb that smooth pillar. A Sumerian could, muttered one of the men. Possibly. Say that Conan strangled Callion, tied the cable about the pillar, crossed the corridor, and hid in the room where the stair is. How, then, could he have removed it after you saw it? He has been among us ever since Arus found the body. No, I tell you Conan didn't commit the murder— I believe the real murderer killed Callion to secure whatever was in the bowl, and is hiding now in some secret nook in the temple. If we can't find him, we'll have to put the blame on the barbarian to satisfy justice, but where is Primero? They had returned to the silent body in the corridor. Dionys bellowed threateningly for Primero, and the clerk came suddenly from the room in which stood the empty bowl. He was shaking, and his face was white. "'What now, man?' exclaimed Demetrio irritably. "'I found a symbol on the bottom of the bowl,' chattered Primero. "'Not an ancient hieroglyphic, but a symbol recently carved. "'The mark of Thoth Amon, the Stygian sorcerer, Calanthes's deadly foe. 
He found it in some grisly cavern below the haunted pyramids. The gods of old times did not die as men died. They fell into long sleeps, and their worshippers locked them in sarcophagi so that no alien hand might break their slumbers. Thothamon sent death to Calanthes. Callian's greed caused him to loose the horror. And it is lurking somewhere near us. Even now it may be creeping among us. You gibbering fool! roared Dionys disgustedly, striking him heavily across the mouth. Dionys was a materialist with scant patience for eerie speculations. Well, Demetrio, he said, turning to the Inquisitor, I see nothing else to do other than to arrest this barbarian. The Cimmerian cried out suddenly, and they wheeled. He was glaring toward the door of a chamber that had adjoined the room of statues. Look, he exclaimed. I saw something move in that room. I saw it through the hangings. Something that crossed the floor like a long, dark shadow. Bah! snorted Postumo. We searched that room. He saw something. Primero's voice shrilled and cracked with hysterical excitement. This place is accursed. Something came out of the sarcophagus and killed Callian Publico. It hid from you where no human could hide, and now it is in that room. Mitra, defend us from the powers of darkness. I tell you, it was one of Set's children in that grisly bowl. He caught Dionysus' sleeve with claw-like fingers. You must search that room again. The prefect shook him off disgustedly, and Postumo was inspired to a flight of humor. You shall search it yourself, clerk he said, grasping Primero by neck and girdle, and propelling the screaming wretch forcibly toward the door, outside of which he paused and hurled him into the room so violently the clerk fell and lay half-stunned. "'Enough of this!' growled Dionys, eyeing the silent Cimmerian. The prefect lifted his hand. Conan's eyes began to burn bluely, and a tension crackled in the air. When an interruption came, a guardsman entered, dragging a slender, richly-dressed figure. "'I saw him slinking about the back of the temple,' quoth the guard, looking for commendation. Instead, he received curses that lifted his hair. "'Release that gentleman, you bungling fool!' swore the prefect. "'Don't you know Austrius Petanius, the nephew of the city's governor?' The abashed guard fell away, and the foppish young nobleman brushed his embroidered sleeve fastidiously. "'Save your apologies, good Dionys,' he lisped affectedly. "'All in line of duty, I know. I was returning from a late revel and walking to rid my brain of the wine fumes. What have we here?' "'By Mitra, is it murder?' "'Murder it is, my lord,' answered the prefect. But we have a man who, though Demetrio seems to have doubts on the matter, will doubtless go to the stake for it. A vicious-looking brute, murmured the young aristocrat. How can any doubt his guilt? I have never seen such a villainous countenance before. Yes, you have, you scented dog, snarled the Cimmerian, when you hired me to steal the Zamorian goblet for you. Revels, eh? Bah! You were waiting in the shadows for me to hand you the goblet. I would not have revealed your name if you had given me fair words. 
Now tell these dogs that you saw me climb the wall after the watchman made the last round, so that they'll know I didn't have time to kill this fat swine before Arus entered and found the body. Demetrio looked quickly at Astrius, who did not change color. If what he says is true, my lord, said the Inquisitor, it clears him of the murder, and we can easily hush up the matter of attempted theft. He is due ten years at hard labor for housebreaking, but if you say the word, we'll arrange for him to escape, and none but us will ever know anything about it. I understand. You wouldn't be the first young nobleman who had to resort to such things to pay gambling debts and the like. You can rely on our discretion. Conan looked at the young nobleman expectantly, but Astrius shrugged his slender shoulders and covered a yawn with a delicate white hand. I know him not, he answered. He is mad to say I hired him. Let him take his just desserts. He has a strong back, and the toil in the mines will be well for him. Conan's eyes blazed, and he started as if stung. The guards tensed, grasping their bills, then relaxed as he dropped his head suddenly, as if in sullen resignation. And not even Demetrio could tell that he was watching them from under his heavy black brows, with eyes that were slits of blue balefire. He struck with no more warning than a striking cobra. His sword flashed in the candlelight. Astrias shrieked and his head flew from his shoulders in a shower of blood, the features frozen in a white mask of horror. Cat-like, Conan wheeled and thrust murderously for Demetrio's groin, the Inquisitor's instinctive recoil barely deflected the point, which sank into his thigh, glanced from the bone, and plowed out through the outer side of the leg. Demetrio went to his knee with a groan, unnerved and nauseated with agony. Conan had not paused. The bill which Dionys flung up saved the prefect's skull from the whistling blade which turned slightly as it cut through the shaft and sheared his ear cleanly from his head. The blinding speed of the barbarian paralyzed the senses of the police and made their actions futile gestures. Caught flat-footed and dazed by his quickness and ferocity, half of them would have been down before they had a chance to fight back, except that Postumo, more by luck than skill, threw his arms about the Cimmerian, pinioning his sword arm. Conan's left hand leaped to the guard's head, and Postumo fell away and writhed, shrieking on the floor, clutching a gaping red socket where an eye had been. Conan bounded back from the waving bills, and his leap carried him outside the ring of his foes, to where Arus stood fumbling at his crossbow. A savage kick in the belly dropped him, green-faced and gagging, and Conan's sandaled heel crunched square in the watchman's mouth. The wretch screamed through a ruin of splintered teeth, blowing bloody froth from his mangled lips. Then all were frozen in their tracks by the soul-shaking horror of a scream which rose from the chamber into which Postumo had hurled Primero. And from the velvet-hung door the clerk came reeling and stood there, shaking with great silent sobs, tears running down his pasty face and dripping off his loose, sagging lips, like an idiot babe weeping. All halted to stare at him aghast. 
Conan with his dripping sword, the police with their lifted bills, Demetrio crouching on the floor and striving to staunch the blood that jetted from the great gash in his thigh, Dionys clutching the bleeding stump of his severed ear, Arus weeping and spitting out fragments of broken teeth. Even Postumo ceased his howls and blinked whimpering through the bloody mist that veiled his half-sight. Romero came reeling out into the corridor and fell stiffly before him, Screeching in an unbearable, high-pitched laughter of madness, he cried shrilly, The god has a long neck! <laughs> oh, a long, a cursed long neck! And then, with a frightful convulsion, he stiffened and lay grinning vacantly at the shadowy ceiling. He's dead, whispered Dionys, oddly forgetting his own hurt and the barbarian who stood with his dripping sword so near him. He bent over the body, then straightened, his eyes flaring. He's not wounded. In Mitra's name, what is in that chamber? Then horror swept over them, and they ran screaming for the outer door, jammed there in a clawing, shrieking mob, and burst through like madmen. Arus followed, and the half-blind Postumo struggled up and blundered blindly after his fellows, squealing like a wounded pig and begging them not to leave him behind. He fell among them, and they knocked him down and trampled him, screaming in their fear. But he crawled after them, and after him came Demetrio. The Inquisitor had the courage to face the unknown, but he was unnerved and wounded, and the sword that had struck him down was still near him. Grasping his blood-spurting thigh, he limped after his companions, police, charioteer, and watchman. Wounded or whole, they burst screaming into the street, where the men watching the building took panic and joined in the flight, not waiting to ask why. Conan stood in the great corridor alone, save for the corpses on the floor. The barbarian shifted his grip on his sword and strode into the chamber. It was hung with rich silken tapestries. Silken cushions and couches lay strewn about in careless profusion. And over a heavy gilded screen, a face looked at the Cimmerian. Conan stared in wonder at the cold, classic beauty of that countenance, whose like he had never seen among the sons of men. Neither weakness, nor mercy, nor cruelty, nor kindness, nor any other human emotion was in those features. They might have been the marble mask of a god, carved by a master hand, except for the unmistakable life in them, Life, cold and strange, such as the Sumerian had never known and could not understand. He thought fleetingly of the marble perfection of the body which the screen concealed. It must be perfect, he thought, since the face was so inhumanly beautiful. But he could see only the godlike face, the finely molded head which swayed curiously from side to side. The full lips opened and spoke a single word, 
in a rich, vibrant tone that was like the golden chimes that ring in the jungle-lost temples of Kitai. It was an unknown tongue, forgotten before the kingdoms of man arose, but Conan knew that it meant, Come! And the Sumerian came, with a desperate leap and a humming slash of his sword. The beautiful head rolled from the top of the screen in a jet of dark blood and fell at his feet, and he gave back, fearing to touch it. Then his skin crawled, for the screen shook and heaved with the convulsions of something behind. Conan had seen and heard men die by the scores, and never had he heard a human being make such sounds in the death throes. There was a thrashing, floundering noise, as if a great cable were being lashed violently about. At last, the movements ceased, and Conan looked gingerly behind the screen. Then the full horror of it all rushed over the Sumerian, and he fled, nor did he slacken his headlong flight until the spires of Numelia faded into the dawn behind him. The thought of Set was like a nightmare, and the children of Set who once ruled the earth and who now sleep in their nighted caverns far below the black pyramids. Behind that gilded screen there had been no human body, only the shimmering, headless coils of a gigantic serpent. And that's the end of The God in the Bowl by Robert E. Howard here on Calm Mystery. This one was a little off the beaten path even for us, but if you like what you hear, why not take the time to rate us and subscribe us on your favorite podcatcher? And please, if you're so inclined, tell a friend or your best enemy. In the meantime, stay calm. Mystery is everywhere. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.